All right, guys, it's time for another episode of The Techie and the Cowboy. My name is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. The Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. The Cowboy. So we decided to take a little bit of a departure from our normal uh, subject matter that we do on The Techie and the Cowboy because in times such as these, there's a lot of discussion. You see it on the news. Um, you see the different people that are protesting, and you see a lot of different uh, conversations being had about racism. And a lot of people are confused about, as Christians, what it is that we should be doing or what can we do about it? And I recently had an experience just earlier this week um, that really emphasizes the way that things are, but also it brought to light that a lot of people I know in my circle have no clue what it is that's going on, like what it is for me as a black male to be able to, to survive in this, this uh, society, especially when it comes with dealing with the police. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my my dealings with the police um, and being pulled over and how it is that I felt fearful in that aspect as well. But more importantly, I want to give four steps that you can take personally uh, to be able to move things forward. T.W., you ready for this, man? Yes, I am. Uh, it's uh, it's your incident, so why don't you go ahead and, and talk about it? Okay, I'll do that right after we play this intro. And now, a few minutes with two of my friends who will soon be yours. The Techie and the Cowboy. All right, all right, we're back. So I'm not going to go into details about my incident. I actually did a Facebook Live post um, where it is that I went into details about what happened uh, with the state trooper, how it is that the incident began. So I encourage you to go facebook.com slash ahunt with the E, hunt with an E. Uh, you can go check that out and watch my Facebook Live. And I'm, I'm giving those these same four steps I'm going to give at the end of the podcast I gave on that as well. But the, I'll just give you a brief summary of it. My son and I are traveling to Arkansas to help a friend move. Um, we're driving, and there's two other people that are speeding. They're going really, really fast. Um, so we pull over to, to the side, to the right-hand lane, in order to let them pass. Uh, and I was actually explaining to my son about how it is that, you know, I don't speed whenever it come, we're going over hills and, you know, some people are, are just driving excessively too fast. We come over the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill, I see an Arkansas state trooper. And I, I obviously thought, oh, well, he asked, I don't think the guys saw them, him, because they didn't look like they slowed down or they didn't slow down a lot. And so I obviously thought he's got him. He's going to be able to get him. So uh, after he, they pass him, we pass him, he pulls out uh, onto the highway and, I proceed to be able to pull over into the right-hand lane because by this time I was in the left trying to pass some trucks, still maintaining. I was actually five miles below the speed limit. Speed limit 70. I was at 65. And my son is is has the Google Maps up, which tells you the speed that you're going. So he's also saying, Dad, you're not speeding, you know, and everything else like that. Uh, to which the state trooper pulls up beside me, uh, looks into the car, and after looking into the car, gets behind me and decides to pull me over which in itself is suspect, but whatever. I'm in a rental vehicle. I'm in a rental van, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I'm, it has Massachusetts plates on it, and I'm traveling from Texas, and I just hit Arkansas. So whatever, uh, no big deal. But then the state trooper who comes up on the passenger side um, begins to ask me questions. And first, they're the standard questions, like, do you have your insurance and everything else like that? But then he begins to ask me a slew of questions that just don't make sense. Like, when he, when he asked me you know, where I live, he, uh, oh, by the way, the reality of, of me as a black male and being pulled over is there's certain things that I was taught by my dad that you do 
just because it is that you want to be able to stay safe. You don't want to give the police any reason to be able to escalate the situation. So I was always taught hands on the steering wheel. I was always taught you put your wallet on the dash. Everything that you need needs to be within visible uh, distance from you. So that way you don't have to make any sudden movements. You talk, yes, sir, no, sir. You have respect. Uh, you don't argue with them, even if it is that you know that you're right. There's These are just things that you have to do in order so that the, the cops don't escalate the situation. It turns into something that it's not. And he specifically had this conversation with me whenever I turned uh, 16 and I started to drive. He had it again with me because I went to college in East Texas uh, and we're in the backwoods of East Texas. He said, you definitely want to be able to go over these again. I had the conversation with my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, whenever he started to drive. And my dad had the conversation with him. And then I also had this the conversation with my oldest son whenever he got old enough to drive. This is just the reality of what it is that you have to do as a black male. And when I said this on my live podcast, I had so many people reach out to me saying, I never had that conversation with my kids and didn't even know that this conversation exists. But if you ask majority of black males and the majority of black fathers, they have this conversation with their kids because this is what we need to do to stay safe. So at this point, I realized that my 10-year-old who's in the back, I hadn't had this conversation with him um, because he's 10. I didn't think that I was going to have to have this conversation until he got older. And we had to have a crash course as I'm getting pulled over on what you do and do not do whenever the police pull you over, which is just just being able, having to do that again, it's just my reality. So I didn't really think much of it. It's just kind of, I've grown immune to it because that's just the way things are. Um, but I've, so many people's anger and shock that that has to happen surprised me, right? Uh, in response to this. So I'm doing a crash course. Don't say anything unless it is that you're asked or to, I ask you to say something, keep your hands. Don't make any sudden movements. Don't go for anything. You're in the back seat. I'm going to announce that you're back there. Uh, so that way he knows that you're back there. And, and, and my son's looking very confused, right? <laughs> but he's, he's listening to me because he sees, he hears the seriousness of my voice. So the state trooper comes up on the right-hand side, looks in the back window, to which he says when he comes up to the window, oh, I thought there was somebody looking suspicious in the back seat. And I said, no, nobody's suspicious. Just my 10-year-old son back there, uh, you know, and said, how can I help you, officer? And he says, you know, he asked me for my driver's license. And he, I guess he knew it was a rental car because it had Enterprise on it. He said, can I get your a rental agreement? To which I responded to him, they don't give you paper agreements anymore. They give you all digital. And my phone is right here. Can I look it up and show you that? And he said, yeah, you're right. You know, I, they don't give you agreements anymore. Can you pull it up? To which he takes my rental agreement and he starts not just verifying that I rented the car, but starts going through my agenda. He said, oh, it looks like you rented the car this morning. You're taking it back tomorrow. So you're only going to be there for a couple of days. What do you have? What business do you have in Arkansas? <laughs> right? Yeah, I told him, going to help move, uh, you know, and my friend, oh, good. Your friend lives in Arkansas. How long has he lived there? Officer, I have no clue how long he lived there, you know, and I, even though I've known this guy, I've never asked him how long he lived in Arkansas. Uh, where did he live before that? He lived in Oklahoma before that. How long did he live there? I'm just getting really weird. And, and he looks at my license. He said, oh, you're from this city. How long have you lived there? Where did you live before? How long have you lived there? And then he starts asking me just ridiculously random questions. I mean, he asked me if I had been arrested and had tickets, if it is that I've ever been in trouble with the law. He asked me... Um, I mean, it was, it was just random. It was 10 minutes of random questions. And about five minutes in, I realized that he's not asking these questions because he wants to know them. He's trying to either A, make me get upset, <laughs> or B, trying to catch me in some kind of light. He's trying to entrap me. And at this point, I realized that with the state trooper in the middle of no place that doesn't have my best intentions in mind and my son in the backseat, my number one job as the parent is to make sure that we leave this situation unharmed. That, that we leave the situation alive. In times such as these, what is going on 
with innocent people being killed and murdered, I felt like my life was in danger. And not only my life, my son's life, which is the, the most important thing, right? And so I started in my head taking precautions to make sure it is that I'm answering the question. I'm doing everything just to be able to get this situation. Finally, after asking him a couple of times, okay, so what is it I did wrong? He says, well, you know, uh, whenever it is that I came up on you, you were following behind the truck in front of you too closely. And if he had stepped on the brakes, that could have been a bad situation. And that's just not a lawful thing to do. And to which I replied, you mean whenever I pulled in between the two trucks to let you go by to catch the two people that were speeding? Is that what you're talking about? Because I wasn't, I was actually in the left-hand lane and then I'm pulled. Only reason I pulled over was to let you go by. He's like, yeah, but I mean, we were following behind that truck too closely. So that's what, the reason why it is that I pulled you over and went back into his, his line of questioning. So it was five minutes. I asked the question, five more minutes of questioning. And finally he said, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your license back to the car, uh, run the license. And then, uh, you know, then, then we'll, we'll go from there. Right. And so he brought it back and he gives me a written warning that says, following too closely is the reason why he pulled me over. I guess he had to have documentation. Though. But the whole point of it is, is the fact that a, uh, I felt like I was being harassed for no reason. And then B I've felt endangered. I felt like it is that this guy at any time could escalate the situation. It would be my word versus it. He didn't have body cam on, at least that I remember and that I saw. I usually would in this situation. One of the things I was taught is to start your phone recording. So that way you have recorded evidence of what it is. But I was so shaken by trying to have to, quickly tell my son what it is to do and so shaken by the fact that I'm not doing anything and these two guys are blatantly speeding and getting away and they're pulling away from us they still haven't slowed down when he's pulling me over by the way uh that that all I didn't even think to start my phone recording and so that's the gist of the situation and I had two things I could do with this I could get really upset and really go off on a rant and my son hear me get upset and everything else to talk about how this cop wasn't right or anything else like this or I could turn this whole thing into a learning experience and I had to really pray on it uh, a matter of fact, I didn't do my live right away. I didn't do my live that evening. I prayed on it and meditated on it that night. But the conversation I had with my son on the way home was that, you know, there's just some people who it is that have certain beliefs and they're going to act a certain way. And even though it's not right, we can't blame because we have a lot of friends. I have one of my favorite mentors as a police officer. Um, so I have a lot of police officer friends. And my son actually has wanted to be a police officer since he was very, very little. And who am I to be able to taint that viewpoint of him because of one person or because of a set of people who it is that have a certain belief system. So we had this conversation about how there is racism out in the world and how there's people who it is that believe that, but there's also uh, amazing people who wear the, the badge and who are police officers. And it just opened up this whole really mature conversation to have with the 10 year old, but to open up this conversation with him. And I turned it into that. The next day I posted the live video that I was talking about, about it. And I gave four action steps that you could take. And that created so much positive conversation and so many people reaching out. And now the video has had over 4,000 views. It's been shared over 200 times. And that, I think, was the whole point of this situation. God saw an opportunity to be able to use this incident as a platform to be able to get people talking about what's going on. And that's really what we want to kind of talk about today. But TW, I know we were talking off mic that you've got to experience uh, racism from a different perspective because you're quite a bit older than I am. So you grew uh, up in well, the area. Well, let, let, let's just say I've got a few years on you. I'm not that much. You're, well, you're, you're quite no, no, wait, wait, wait. I am that much older than you. 
You're okay. All right, you got a few years on me. I, 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 I stand corrected. You got a few years on me, uh, but right. you grew up in the era where this was a reality. Same as my parents grew up in the era. This was a reality, right? Yes, I grew up in uh, South Texas in uh, San Antonio in the fifties and sixties. And given my dad was from Colorado, but he moved there in the army, stayed after he got out. And uh, the clients and the friends that he has. As a, as a kid, I could see by the language that was used, by the things that were said, by the attitude that I saw displayed, that there was uh, a big race divide. And it was, back, but in San Antonio, obviously you had uh, the African-American community and you had the Hispanic community and you had the Anglo community. And there was pretty much a dividing line. So, you know, everybody stayed in their parts of town when they crossed over, eh, there, you know, there were some issues, you know, either way. Even so, even, e even so, not to the degree and not to the threat that you have experienced. I remember when, uh, I started to get uh, romantically interested in a young lady who was Hispanic, and she and I went to a Mexican restaurant south of Houston Street. The hired help, the waiters, just dished on me in very rapid Spanish that I, I couldn't understand, and they were putting me down for being a white guy with one of, you know, their women type of thing, and I'm like, yep. what? what? What is this all about? Because I had no intent. A, I like Mexican food, and B, I liked her, so... There was that, but I did witness how that was. And I endeavored with some other behaviors. I said, I'm not gonna be like my dad in that way. And I chose not to, and I have not been. But you know, I have seen how it was, and I see how it is now. And in some ways, there has been social progress uh, in, in race relations. Uh, and as you pointed out, some other things off Mike that, uh, you know, we're starting to step back a little bit in some ways, but there has been some progress. But race, racism in the 50s going into the 60s when MLK and all that activity took place, it was real. Yeah, it was real. And here's the thing. And I, I've had these active conversations with different people. One of the active conversations I had with the lady was who kept on repeatedly saying, in a, in a group that we're in, I wish things would just go back to the way that they used to be uh, when I was a child. And I had to have this conversation with her in private. And then I commented on some of her public posts. I was like, I wish you things would go back to the way that they used to be for who? Because the things that in your childhood that you experienced and the things that my parents experienced in their childhood were about the same age were two totally different things because they actually grew up in the New York area. So they got to see racism firsthand just based on whenever they would go into different parts of the city, uh, depending on, you know, your economic status. Right. And even for me growing up 10 years ago, I've. I've always dated, you know, different races and different cultures, uh, you know, black, white, Latino. I've dated all different kinds. Even me 10 years ago, how you would uh, be perceived by the public and by uh, law enforcement, by everything else dating outside of your race in the last 10 years it has been a big difference. But still, because there's more mixed people and it's more socially accepted than it was there, but still you still get to find, have incidents where it is that there's open racism. I think things have reverted. Now more than ever, I think it's it's okay to express your viewpoints, even if it is, they may be considered quote unquote racist. To give you an example of that, a good friend of ours daughter who, who just moved back to Dallas, who's dating, uh, she's a white girl and she's dating a black guy. 
and they right after all of the riots and everything else that went on in Dallas because they had the protests. And again, I, I talked about this in my my live. You have to separate out the people who are doing peaceful protests and the people who are looting are two totally different people, right? Opportunists are going to be take advantage of any opportunity that they have to be able to get something that's going to benefit them. It has nothing to do with the peaceful protest. I don't even think the same people who came out and started looting were the same people that were there at the peaceful protest. It doesn't escalate. People who have ethical and moral values have ethical and moral values. Those who throw them out the window and decide I'm going to go for a new TV have nothing to do with the peaceful protest, right? But anyways, so right after that incident happened, she, her and her boyfriend are out walking her dog and they begin to get racial slurs hurled at them from the windows from several different people the whole entire time that they're walking. Her not really dating outside of her race. And she actually grew up in an environment where it is that she wasn't around this a lot, had no clue and had never experienced this. So she called up Wendy and said, how do you deal with this? You know, you, you have an interracial marriage and for the interracial couple that she knows, she said, how do you deal with it? It really hurt her, it really shocked her and hurt her to the core. I think people are finding it okay more and more to be able to do that and under the cover of everything that's going on, whether they can say that they were upset or whatever else, I think that happens. So the reality that I have as a black male, and even you now, TW, today, the reality that you have as a white male in certain situations like the one where I'm pulled over are probably two totally different things. But even I've grown kind of immune to it. Like I, if you had five years ago, it would have just been what it is that I do whenever I pulled over and I wouldn't have thought to be able to do a, a Facebook post about it because I've experienced it my whole entire life, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is that I, I can use it for a learning experience to be able to open up conversations, I think. That's the key thing. And then, and then this brings up what you said, TW. There's two different types of racism. There's open racism, like what it is that uh, the young lady that I talked about experienced and what it is that you saw whenever you were growing up. And then there's systematic racism. And systematic racism or institutionalized racism uh, is still around because some of the things that from back then has not changed. And I'll give you a definition of what it is. Systematic racism is racism that's based on uh, your economic class, based on your race, because of where it is that you live, because of opportunities that are available to you, because of the, the differences that there are inside of politics, as far as people that are look like you, they're able to represent you. Systematic racism says that if I'm in a minority neighborhood, in a minority school, and three blocks away, there's an upper class white neighborhood, a white school, if you look at what is available to both of these students, the opportunities that's available to both of these students, it's not equal. So by the way that it's been set up and the way that it's always been, they're not going to have the same opportunities in these two different places. It's like if you go to a certain school, if you could qualify from those schools to be able to go to a certain college and you qualify to be able to and it can afford to go to an Ivy League college, you're going to have two different education points and two different sets of opportunities that were are available to you. Right. It's just showing that in different parts of the way it is back going back to the Jim Crow laws and everything else like that, some of these things that are still in place from an economic standpoint and from a law making standpoint that are holding minorities back. That's systematic racism. And because this is in place, a lot of this stuff has not changed even since then, even though how it is that people are treated may have improved just a little bit. So that's, that's the whole other aspect of that. But let's move on to, to what can we do as Christians? I mean, it's like, it's easy to be able to talk all day about what it is that's going on. But I love action items. Like for me, going and protesting is great as long as it is that you have an end game that you're trying to, to accomplish. For me, talking about racism is great, but what is it that you're personally doing in order to be able to move things forward? One of the things that I'd like to interject at this point is an observation that I've made to you, I don't know when, off mic, 
you know, when we first started talking. Could have been when we met in Orlando. But I was in charge of five or six different accounting departments. And one of the things that I came away with in that experience is that there are three kinds of employees. You know, start at the bottom. Those are the people who, who can find fault with just about anything. Oh, this doesn't work. Oh, that process doesn't work. Oh, this is the wrong kind of machine for this kind of thing. It's kind of like, okay, and? Well, it's just wrong. So finding fault as though there were a reward for it. The next level up is those people who can begin to understand the difference between uh, a cause and an effect, a symptom and the core cause. In other words, this is not the cause up here. That's just a symptom of it. This is what the real problem is. And I suggest we do X. Now, X not be, might not be right, but at least they're getting towards it. And the highest level, the people who usually paid the most because they tend to be the managers and um, owners of the business, that kind of stuff, are those are people who can identify the core problem, come up with a solution and implement it. So this feeds into what you and I have talked about. It's one thing to just sit there and say, oh, I protest because I want peace in the world. I want the uh, lives between all the races to be harmonious. Who doesn't? How are you going to do that? I don't know, but I'll be back here tomorrow with my signs and I'll continue to pro uh, protest so that, as you say, moving toward, well, what specifically can be done? And that's the next part of the conversation we should have. And that's what you're going to talk about with your four action items. Yeah. And before we get to four action items, there's a couple of different websites that I wanted to be able to give you guys too as, as resources. One of them, which you gave to me this morning, which I love, TW is called Eight Can't Wait. That's the number eight. C-A-N-T-Wait.org. And we'll put it inside of the, the description of the podcast as well for a resource for you to be able to go to. What I love about this site is actually references three, was eight things that police departments can do to be able to cut down on police violence, right? And it's, so again, they're trying to move towards change happening that's going to be able to decrease a problem that we have that's caused a lot of this racial tension and caused a lot of the people to be upset. But instead of just saying uh, police brutality has to stop now, they say, here's how it is that police brutality can be reduced just by implementing these eight things. Like one of them is to ban chokeholds and strangleholds. And one of them is to require de-escalation. Another one is to require warning before shooting. Another one is to require is exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Another one is uh, duty to intervene. If they see something that's going on or if another officer sees something that's going on, you have a duty in order to intervene in that. Uh, to ban shooting at moving vehicles, which TW and I laughed. We thought that was just common sense, but obviously it's enough of an issue for them to put it as one of the eight. Require the use of force continuum and require comprehensive reporting. Um, I think you should throw on there that all all officers, now it's been required by most jurisdictions, but like I said, and maybe I remember wrong because I was, you know, it was, but I didn't even see the, the state trooper that I had had a body cam. That was one of the things that made me uncomfortable. He had a bulletproof vest on, but he didn't have a body cam on. Right. Uh, so requiring all police officers to be able to wear body cams that are active and turned on the whole entire time and not allow them to be able to turn them off <laughs> or to be able to block them in any different way, shape or form, along with uh, cameras that are on the vehicles. And not only that, live stream. I saw somebody the other day. I thought this was brilliant to be able to have the body cams be live streamed. Um, so it is that people whenever a situation becomes volatile, it can be monitored and people can get real time feedback 
you know, the sergeant on hand on how it is to be able to handle these type of situations. So anytime that a situation escalates, it can be live streamed and somebody can be monitoring that to be able to give steps on how it is to de-escalate the situation. Just like it is that you would any, any person would come in to be able to negotiate. I mean, these are all just ideas that are thrown out, but they're all ideas that are will be put into action, right? Exactly. Another action step I, I love, and then I'll go into my four steps, is last night, the coalition of Collin County Churches uh, met on the McKinney Steps, McKinney, Texas, at the steps of the courthouse to be able to pray over the country. Um, but what I loved about that, it wasn't just a let's get together and pray. It was let's get together and pray specifically. And then there's a set of action steps that they had in order to be able to move forward. Like they created a coalition among these churches and they said, if you want to volunteer to be able to be on these panels to an open up discussion, they allowed people to sign up. But they also said something that people can implement right away. They said they're going to, they were charging everybody that every fifth weekend that you decide to be able to approach somebody who looks different than you and share a meal with them and have conversations about the, and understanding their culture and understanding more about them, which I thought was amazing. So they said, everybody here can do that. Every fifth weekend, you go, you approach somebody or you talk to somebody. It can be somebody that you know, but somebody that looks different than you and you sit down and you find out more about them and their culture. That's an action step that you can actually take. But let me give you four things. Let me give you four things right now that you can personally do. Each of us can do to be able to help move things forward in a positive way. And again, these are the ones I put on my Facebook post. That I got so much positive uh, feedback from and people that and people that have told me that they began to implement them and they gave me positive feedback from how it's changed their lives. Number one, the best thing that you can do in the first thing, and this has been happening since it is that all this stuff came to the surface. I've had different people of different races come to me and say, hey, I understand this is happening to black people. What can I do? Well, the number one thing that you can do is acknowledge that injustices exist and empathize with those that are around you that are hurting. Whether you agree with the situation that caused it, whether you agree with the, if why they should be hurting is irrelevant. Just acknowledge the fact that the people are in pain and they're, they're hurting. And the fact that they feel like it is that, that they're at a disadvantage because of their race and acknowledge that. Number two, have active conversations with people of color in your circle. An active conversation is not an argument. You're looking to get into it for a dialogue. So if you feel like the person is going to be confrontational, if they're confrontational by nature, kind of like the people that TW was talking about, they're just looking for something, that might not be the, the person to have the active conversation with. If you feel like it is that they will be open to you asking them questions without judgment or without uh, firing back, those are the type of people that I would look to have active conversations with, right? Uh, the key thing is, is that even with the people who it is that are being approached to have an active conversation, you can't react. So number three is be willing to listen without getting defensive. So from the side of the person who's being approached for active conversation, if somebody is truly wanting to be able to find out more information, no matter what it is that they say that you may perceive to be racist or not understanding the culture, you have to be calm enough to be able to explain to them why it is hurtful to you. To so the person who it is that is initiating the conversation, it's not about what you meant or your intentions. You got to be able to, to ask them questions and understand that they were hurt by whatever it is that you said. Here is a question that you can ask that will, that's hard to be able to ask because you, you're kind of afraid of what it is that people are going to say, but here's a question that you can ask uh, to be able to initiate this active conversation. And as simple as this, have I ever inadvertently made you feel uncomfortable through my words or actions because I don't understand your culture? I'll say it again. Have I ever inadvertently made you feel uncomfortable through my words or actions because I don't understand your culture. 
and you'll be surprised at the answers. Maybe it is that you told a joke. Maybe it is that you made a commentary about something. Maybe it is that even subconsciously you, you said something you didn't even know that you said it that hurt this person's feelings. And now they have a, a chance to be able to put this on the table and for you to be able to clear the air. And they were harboring this. Even though they like you as a person, they like you as a friend, they were harboring these feelings about what it is that you said. And this is a chance to be able to put it out there and release it. But you have to be willing to be able to take that risk of asking that question so that way you could clear the air. And then the number four is to think of ways that you can actually do things differently moving forward. If it is that you, like T.W. said, he grew up in an environment where it is that, you know, maybe it is that there was some racism that was going on around him, but he made a choice at some point that he didn't want to be like that. T.W., talk about that, because you talked about at some point I made a choice that I didn't want to be like my dad and my dad's friends. Well, there's other baggage that my father had that I chose not <laughs> to do. So w when I was 14, I, <laughs> I got volunteered to go off to military school in uh out of out of state long ways away out of state and so i was put into a different environment there so it was easy for me to uh as i was coming to grips with why am i here why am i so far away from home hey i wanted to play football at thomas jefferson high school and now i'm in where <laughs> type of thing so as i was doing that life review i thought about all the things that uh, i was missing at home and it was the time for me to say this is the chance for me to become the man that I'm going to be. And how do I want to do that? And one of the things was I will cherry pick, you know, the strong set of values that were positive that my father had, I would emulate those. Matter of fact, I've shared with you Doc's rules, but there are other things that he did. I said, you know, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. And I'm never going to do this. His attitude towards the races was one of those things I chose not to do. Now, we had African-Americans in the Corps of Cadets. We didn't have any Hispanics. We had some Italians and some uh, Polish people, but uh, no Hispanics. But it's one of those things that, you know, I learned. And they were from the urban centers near Chicago. And so I learned to get along with them and find out more about them. And, of course, the you know, the whole big city thing was new to me. So, okay, fine. So I just, I had an opportunity and the space to do it in. Now, the question is, had I stayed at home, would I be a different person? We'll never know the answer to that. So, And I believe that if you truly wanted to be able to make a change, you would, because I know some people that are from very volatile, very hostile uh, home environments when it comes to about race. And they made the decision based on, you know, the people that they were around, the people that they worked with. And again, they came out of that environment and they made the decision to be able to change. But there's some people that don't. So the number four is, is what are you going to be able to do differently moving forward? If it is that you found out that you've been inadvertently offending somebody or you offended somebody, how can you change that moving forward? Like, how can you change your heart or how can you pray about what it is that you need to be able to say or do or what needs to be moved and changed in your heart in order to be able to make that? Or maybe just the awareness in general will help you to be able to change. And I think that these are four things that everybody can do and anybody can do to be able to start having these active conversations that will help to be able to to heal things. And And my goal is to be able to have if I can influence, you know, 10 people to have these active conversations with 10 other people, that's now 20 people who it is that have, have changed in some way, shape or form planted the seeds. And when I said that, it was funny because on the Facebook, I said, you know, if we can get a thousand people to be able to view this video and thousand people to have active conversations, then I'll be happy. And, and like I said, it was at 4,000 views. So I feel blessed that God is using me to be able to speak through me and to be able to, to move people's hearts because only he could do it. Right. Right. And so, 
you have uh, motivated me to take the uh, McKinney Courthouse steps one step further. As you know, I'm direct. I'm a, sometimes a little bit impatient, waiting till the fifth week, you know, to come around and then four weeks off, then one week off. Yeah, it's kind of like, wait, that's, that doesn't work for me. So it's kind of <laughs> like, I've, I've determined in the, in the place that I have started out is at my local gym. And I will go and speak with, usually go in, work, don't speak to anybody uh, unless I know them from church or, or, or somewhere like that. But it's, I'm there to work out and get, you know, get back into uh, my work day. But now I have on occasion purposefully stopped and begun conversation with two strangers who happen to be African-American uh, men and just, you know, start the conversation and, you know, say, hey, you know, hi, here's who I am. What's going on? I haven't asked those specific questions, but in my own way, you know, kind of veer into that. So I, I think that if everybody has one conversation once a week with somebody that they don't know that is different from them, however you describe that, because the one thing that Jesus did was he jumped into the crowd and he talked to them and he dealt with them one-on-one -on -one and he told stories and he got into it. So I think that on an individual level, we can do that by having those conversations and just say, you know, I, I, I know that you are very emotional about this. Me, because my experience is different. I don't understand. Will you please explain it to me and what can I do? And one of the suggestions I have is to have these conversations eyeball to eyeball. If it is that you don't feel comfortable with social distancing, uh, doing it in person, then there's lots of different platforms. Zoom is a great platform. Uh, FaceTime is a great platform. You got Google Hangouts is a, face a great platform. You can actually call people on Facebook Messenger and have a video conferencing with them on that. Um, there's lots of different ways that you can actually see people eye to eye so you can actually see their their facial expressions and feel their, their passion in their heart to be able to want to know, or you just meet with them in person and you just keep social distancing in place and you meet with them in person, you have a conversation with them. Right. Um, and so I think that these, these active conversations are going to be a great way for us to be able to move forward. You know, there's a lot inside of this whole subject. So we didn't want to just do one podcast. So we decided to make this into a series. So we're going to actually have a couple of people that we know that are directly or indirectly related to this. Um, we have a gentleman who it is that is a retired police officer who got to see stuff from the inside that we're going to bring on. And then we have a, a couple other people that we want to be able to bring on to be able to talk about this from their different unique perspectives. Right. Um, and so look for the next couple of series. Uh, definitely subscribe so you can get notification whenever it is that we post live. But we want your feedback. So on inside of our Facebook page, Techie and the Cowboy, or on our Instagram, the Techie and the Cowboy, we want you to be able to give us feedback on what it is that you think. And if there's things that you want us to be able to talk about uh, from a Christian male perspective, we'll be happy to be able to, to touch on those as well. If you have any questions about active conversations, happy to be able to answer those as well. But we're just happy that you joined us and you stuck with us through this whole entire thing. And hopefully it is that my experience will be able to, to motivate you to be able to get out there and be a part of the change. Yes, we'd, re we'd really like to see how you react to us having this conversation as a slight departure from our normal stuff. All right. With that being said, this is Alistair Hunt, the techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, the cowboy. We'll see you on the next session and we'll talk to you soon. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time for the techie and the cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. Let us know what y'all think.